0: Coming to you live from Wrexham, Wales, brought to you by the Movie Changeup Podcast. It is The Hand Plus, where we handle your streaming. If you've got all these streaming services, and you don't know what to watch, and it just seems like a lot, and you're like, I don't want to waste my time watching things that aren't good, I want to watch things that are good, that's what I'm here for. I'm Joe Frookie, I'm with... Uh, my co-host is always Tristan Mayer, and we're kind of here to break down everything going on in streaming, whether it's Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, or any of your other favorite streaming services. That's where we got the name, The Hand, you know, it's a, it's an acronym. Uh, Tristan, uh, you have uh, fun watching the shows and movies you stream this
1: week? Yeah, it was a really good week this week. I'm also excited because we're doing a special kind of highlight this week of what's coming up at uh, next month, because we're, believe it or not, going into September of 2022 already, and one of my favorite things at the end of the month is to go and see what's coming up and being added or removed from all the different platforms and it feels like there's more and more platforms by the day so it's always kind of cool to see who gets what every month so that'll be a cool discussion and yeah we have a couple of big hits going on in the streaming world too so it was a pretty good week and I'm really excited for the conversation and looking forward to what's next in the upcoming month too.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see what uh, you watched this week that I should be checking out and uh, tell you maybe some things you should check out. And then, yeah, at the end, we're going to break down our top 10 uh, upcoming in September. I made a top 10 list, Tristan made a top 10 list, and then we kind of combined them for one, the hand plus top 10 upcoming in September list for shows and movies, things you should check out. It could be new stuff, could be old stuff that they're uh, adding to a streaming service, so I uh, can't wait to break those down for you. But let's kick it off with Hulu. And uh, one thing I watched this weekend was the first two episodes of Welcome to Wrexham. If you've seen Hard Knocks, it's very similar to that, except it's covering soccer. And basically, for $2 million, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought a very, very low-level uh, Welsh soccer team. And they were like, we want to restore this team to prominence. This used to be one of the best teams in Wales, and now they've fallen so far down the ladder that they're barely... they're they're not even a professional team hardly a professional team anymore the guys are making like forty thousand dollars a year and they're like we want to restore this thing and kind of the first couple episodes were uh focusing on them buying the team and one of the things they really focused on was saying like hey this isn't just a publicity stunt for us like we actually you know rob mcmahon he's like i'm a diehard philadelphia sports fan if you know anything about philadelphia sports fans they're crazy and uh he's like i'm a diehard uh philadelphia eagles fan and i understand what it's like to be a sports fan what it's like to be super passionate about sports and i want to you know make i want that feeling again he said one of the best moments of his life was being in the super bowl watching uh watching the eagles win and he's like i want to restore that feeling to wrexham but he's like i can't do. i can't buy a team with tv money i need I need movie star money, and so he contacts Ryan Reynolds, and they go in and buy the team together, and they never met in person. Or the first time they met in person was after they had already bought the team. They wow. had they had done a bunch of Skype calls and stuff together, but they never actually met in person. And I think uh, the first two episodes, I'm locked in. I'm excited. Uh,
1: can't wait to see how it unfolds. Uh, one thing i'm really excited about you mentioned because i was worried about it being a a publicity stunt that they're going to be like oh where celebrity is going to come out and like tell a couple of jokes at the end of the episode and that's kind of it but it sounds like they're like involved in the actual process of the team and managing it and everything else so yeah i'm really excited to hear more about it from you yeah yeah it's definitely
0: a good show only two episodes out right now it's kind of an fx hulu crossover but I'm enjoying it, I'm definitely going to keep watching it I don't think I'm exactly going to be reviewing it week to week, I might do a season wrap up uh, when the season ends uh, but Tristan, I know you watched something on Hulu, uh, kind of what was that?
1: Yeah, I watched the Fallout uh, the Emmys are in a couple of weeks so I've been trying to go through and watch a couple of the nominees for uh, miniseries and this is one of the nominees for miniseries from Hulu, uh, starring Amanda Seyfried who I really like a lot as the Uh, downfall kind of rich science figure Elizabeth Holmes and she popped off in kind of the early early 2000s I want to say with this like pseudo technology of saying like this new health technology that she said was so totally like the cure-all pill for your health and it turned out to not be that and this is kind of about the rise and the downfall of this woman and kind of a deep dive into her psyche and if you know anything about Elizabeth Holmes she had this really strange way of talking and presenting herself. I've never really quite heard anyone talk or like move the way that she does, she's kind of an odd duck. And Amanda Seyfried does a really good job capturing the kind of quirks and the weirdness of that character. And right now she's the lead uh, contender for winning best actress in in a limited series. So I would be uh, curious to see who else the contenders are because I do like to watch these limited shows that get nominated. I don't have the time to watch necessarily all of the network TV and that kind of things like like Emmy nominations, but when it's a a mini series, I want to try and give it a shot. And this is only eight episodes. So if you have any curiosity on this kind of like rise and fall story, I know, you know, that you kind of can guess the beats from the the premise alone, but sometimes uh, similar predictable beats are still fun if they're done really well, you know, and this is a typical biopic kind of narrative structure, but, you get a great performance out of it and you're getting a dive into this woman who you might know of but not know much about so yeah i definitely recommend it if you want to know more about her or if you're just an amanda seyfried fan and you want to see a really really good performance from her
0: all right yeah i'm uh, i definitely think amanda seyfried's underrated as far as people outside maybe the acting community i think she's great and uh i'll probably uh definitely check my out check it out convince my girlfriend to uh watch it so i'm excited yeah i think
1: it'd be something that uh, a lot of people are going to watch i don't think this is going to like you mentioned no Amanda decide outside of like the tight film fans is not necessarily beloved and i don't think you have to be like a really diehard tv fan or anything like this to watch it. it's very consumable and like bingeable so i could see it being really popular among like casual viewers and that's probably why it's so acclaimed and winning uh so many awards because it has that kind of wide appeal
0: yeah
1: all right uh anything else you want to say about
0: uh say about that show
1: no, I'm really looking forward to seeing what wins on the Emmys. We have, uh, Two weeks from today, I believe, is when the Emmys are, so it'll be curious yeah. to see who wins and watch what I can, you know, <laughs> before then. Yeah, I've always been much more of like a TV person than a show
0: person, but especially with this show coming out, I'm going to be uh, concentrating a little bit more on that and try to watch a little bit more of these like miniseries and limited series. I'm not going to... If a show that's on Season 5 is nominated for an Emmy and it's a streaming show, I'm not going to binge the entire show to catch up. I'm just going to be like, looks like I missed that one, but... Uh, we shall see and uh, i think that leads us to amazon prime i don't believe you really watched anything on prime this week i think it was pretty light for amazon prime but i did check out the new sylvester stallone movie samaritan and i will say this if you don't love stallone and you don't love cheesy b action movies just skip this movie even if you're a superhero fan this really didn't delve too much into the whole superhero-ness like if you don't care about superheroes outside of the mcu i would honestly say i don't think this uh movie's for you i wasn't even sure if i was planning to watch this movie or not but i think saturday night i woke up at 2 a.m and couldn't fall back asleep and i was like well might as well try to watch this movie and i did and it wasn't bad enough to put me to sleep but it wasn't (laughs) great there's the number one thing i've seen throughout the discourse because i every time i watch a movie i always go on reddit and see like what pe- other people are saying see kind of what the general consensus is and everything everyone was saying was there's a twist in this movie which isn't really a spoiler but within probably about 60 seconds everyone
1: figured out oh, what geez. the twist is and do you want me to spoil it tristan or do you want me to you or? can spoil it for me i don't know about the viewers if you're out there and you're really into samaritan right. maybe plug your for a couple of seconds but i, I right, would like yeah. to know
0: I would say skip about a minute ahead if you're if you're interested in this movie and don't want to be spoiled. But just to let you know, you will figure it out within 60 seconds. So basically, the movie opens with uh, kind of an over narration of this, like 15 years ago, Samaritan and his arch rival, the nemesis, fought. And they were twin brothers, and it kind of like how they were, when they were kids, they were in a house fire and their parents died, but they were alive and everyone's like, oh, these kids are freaks, they're indestructible, all that stuff. And then you kind of realize through the narration that Samaritan died, and Nemesis is the one that lived, and this little kid who is played, I can't remember, he's in Euphoria, Uh, I can't remember the, uh, it's the little brother drug dealer, but I can't remember his name. He is this little kid- who's a huge samaritan fan he still thinks he still like has this feeling samaritans out there he sees sylvester stallone and he sees him like just launch a kid through the air when he's getting this kid's getting beat up and then stallone saves him and launches a kid in the air and he's like oh this guy's samaritan and the whole time he's like i'm not samaritan i'm not samaritan i'm not samaritan either way it's cheesy dumb movie i think the twist would have worked better because it deals a lot with like what's good and what's evil if it got revealed early as soon as um it was said in the movie that um oh samaritan he just like fights for the cops blah blah like he works with the cops he fights for the cops and uh nemesis he always like seemed to look out for the little guy that just completely confirmed the whole theory that i think if they had delved in that and it was kind of like you reveal early on that stallone is nemesis but then later at the movie you reveal at the end and deal with the whole thing of oh samaritan was the bad guy nemesis was the good guy but samaritan was in with the cops and the billionaires and the media so they hyped him up as like oh he's the good guy he's the hero when really he was just kind of on their side orchestrating keeping them on top but that's my thoughts i think if you like cheesy dumb action movies definitely check it out
1: but i really don't have more to say on that i think that might be a nice uh background watch you know i watched something on amazon prime this week if i I can talk about it briefly i didn't finish the whole season but i did start it. Uh, It's called Night Sky. Uh, It's starring J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek, which is pretty much the reason I clicked on it. I love J.K. Simmons, and Sissy Spacek has been in some really great stuff, too. So I was curious to see what they would do with this. And it's an interesting sci-fi premise because they play this old couple who's living kind of out on this small, kind of like Vermont-looking farm where they're kind of out in the woods, not really uh, surrounded by anybody else, just kind of distant neighbors. But they have this long... Running secret that their shed in their backyard has this mysterious portal that brings them to like an alien planet. And rather than, it's not like they, they do anything on this planet, it's just kind of like a big, empty, abandoned kind of space. And they go there and they sit out in this and they look out at it and they kind of like have the secret observation space that they go to and the quiet kind of peace in the background. And they don't really try to explain to themselves how this is happening or what caused it they just kind of eventually accept that this is just kind of this weird thing in our backyard but now they've got to a point where they're kind of old they're wondering if maybe they should pass this knowledge down to other people maybe their children maybe somebody else in the town and while they're uh, kind of discussing this and coming face to face with their own mortality they go into their shed for one night and all of a sudden they find a person in there and that kind of shakes everything up because it's been their two sacred thing between the two of them and they go in there one night and suddenly there's a guy in there with no explanation of where he came from is he an alien is he from earth what's going on who is this guy and that's kind of the cliffhanger i leave you with at the end of the first episode of like where did this guy come from uh what is his connection to this spaceship and how is he going to upend this relationship and they're they're thinly kept secret I'm really curious to see how it all plays out and I'm really curious to see how these performances go because I love both of these actors and I want to see where they can go as they escalate and build up performances and the tension because they had this kind of tension too of the outside forces that people in the town are slowly but surely figuring out that there's some kind of secret there and it's playing a little bit into like older generations versus younger generations and like these old people just kind of want to be left to their own devices and left alone but Kind of the reality of this new growing world is hitting them where they, maybe they can't just be isolated forever anymore so it's a i'm curious to see how that plays out as it goes along uh pretty pretty compelling but it's one of those things where it's all kind of built around this mystery and this relationship so if it doesn't play out in an interesting way as it goes along i could see it just kind of like fizzling out and not being much of anything but if it ends up really well i could see this being one of those kind of underground hits that no one talks about but randomly showed up on streaming and watched by no one <laughs> who do
0: you like recommend this is like a family show is it more like adult oriented like who is It's definitely more
1: adult oriented it's kind of cerebral and very much about like thinking about what you would do if you were in the situation and thinking about these specifically these two characters and sissy spacek has had a recent health scare so that's kind of in there too of like you know you're getting a little bit too old to take care of yourself entirely on your own and she's not ready to let go of that so i think if you're in the older crowd i know amazon is, is playing really well right now to like the Middle American older crowds. So I think if you're among that, or even if you want to recommend something to like your mom and dad to watch, this is a really good show for like mom and dad to sit down and watch together. Not necessarily like your kids or your teens, but I think parents would get something out of this, especially if they can connect to the the older generation of the main characters.
0: All right. Yeah, definitely uh might check that out. Is it how many episodes is it, do you know, in the season? I wanna
1: say it's eight or six, something pretty okay, short so around. it's not it's
0: like super long. Okay. That no. makes sense.
1: All right. Anything else you want to talk about with Amazon Prime or are we moving on to Netflix? I'm um, ready to move on. We'll talk more about Amazon Prime in our top 10 for sure. Oh, yeah. There's some big stuff coming up in this month, I think. Oh, yeah. They're going to be crushing fun. this month. Uh, they haven't won. So every week we do a Who Won
0: the Week. They haven't won a week yet. It's pretty much been dominated by, I think, Disney one week one, HBO Max one week two. Uh, we'll see who wins week three, but I think Amazon may win some weeks here in September. And that brings us to Netflix. I just want to say real quick, uh docu-series I watched, I think it was like three or four episodes, called I Just Killed My Dad. And it's about this uh, kid who's a late teen. He's like 17 years old, I think, on June 3rd, 2019. I remember that date because it's my birthday. At like 3 a.m. calls 911, and he's the first thing he says is, I just killed my dad. And it's wow. a real story uh about this kid like i said kills his dad and at first you're like oh like screw this rich kid douchebag and then as the story progresses you start to have a little bit more empathy and understanding for um everything going on and basically the case is unfolding for you kind of as a unfold folded in real time with the lawyers and other people doing some research on him trying to figure out why did this kid kill his dad and It's a it's a fun short show you can well i would say fun but like If you're into true crime, definitely check this out. If you haven't watched it yet, you can basically binge watch it in an afternoon or an evening. And uh, I definitely uh,
1: recommend it to anyone who's kind of a big true crime fan. If you want to talk about dumb sly movies, I watched Cliffhanger on Netflix this week. Hell yeah. Uh, Not much to say about Cliffhanger, but... You know, it a really, really fun, dumb action movie. It was a good one to kind of turn off my brain after a couple of stressful days here and to sit back and watch the dumbness of it tonight. Think, I think it leaves at the end of the month. So, yeah, secret little last chance here. So if you haven't seen Cliffhanger, it's it's not leaving streaming. I think it's going from Netflix to Paramount Plus or some other random place. But uh, it's gone from Netflix, but I did see it on the list of stuff coming to streaming in September. So I think it's going to another platform. But, yeah, really cool, dumb salon movie. And I'm imagining it's a little bit more ambitious than what you talked about with your Sloan movie this week, because this has some bigger scale action scenes and some cooler moments. And it was also on our movie change-up top 10 movies to watch for this year that none of us have seen, I think. And I don't know if any of us got to it except for me. but yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: think so. I've always wanted to watch it, never have, because there was this thing going around on Facebook or somewhere like... Uh... Uh, these things always pop on twitter and facebook like oh your 2021 is gonna go based on the movie that was number one the day you were born and the movie that was number one in bo- in theaters the day i was born was cliffhanger so
1: i've always wanted to have a to rather intense uh intense intense year i think how did, yeah. it, did it go that way for you i don't know it's been pretty chill to be honest but um <laughs> uh I- i'll
0: i've always wanted to check it out i'm definitely going to check it out and uh we'll see how it goes and uh i think that brings us to i don't think you watch anything on netflix besides cliffhanger so i um am going to take us to disney plus and that is she-hulk if you want to talk about she-hulk for a second because spoiler alert my fantasy football league decided to schedule my our fantasy football draft tonight so i am
1: uh yeah i can talk about she-hulk while you do your fantasy draft a bit uh i thought this was a really impressive uh improved episode from the last one i know the last one got kind of ripped on by a lot of people and i was a bit easier on it than i thought that i would be but it was very very much a mess to get us to i think here because this feels like the start of the actual show it feels like getting us to what jennifer Walters is going to be spending her actual time on the show doing you know solving these cases with these superheroes and uh dealing with these tertiary mcu characters and these small little connections here and there and i'm glad this went as well as it did, because I was definitely nervous last week that we were going to be in for a really jumbled kind of uh, mess where, where they're once again kind of moving stuff around and not really figuring out the pacing. But this worked really well for me. I like The Return of Abomination. I I have a soft spot for The Incredible Hulk as a movie, and I think a lot of it is because of the way they shoot the Hulk in that movie, and he's very terrifying. He's like this big like menace that you just do not want to be in your way. It's like a horror movie creature almost, and I think all of that feeds into this, Seen here with abomination, and you, you want to root for him because, you you understand when you watch that movie that, he kind of does, look like he's going from the right side from a certain point of view, you know, for this quote Obi Wan Kenobi, and, you especially when you have a monster like that coming at you, it's easy to see why someone would be terrified and, uh, become violent, you know. And I I really like dealing with that, especially in a legal show where it's kind of trying to deal with the fact that like maybe people who are, on the other side of of the argument aren't necessarily as like as wholeheartedly evil as you think that they are. Maybe the people who are on the side of the law aren't as good as you think that they are and I really like the complexity there. We're also getting to know Jennifer a lot better too. Now that we're able to see her kind of on her own and doing her own thing. I really enjoyed the element of like she's at the bar with her friends as she Hulk and it's kind of this fun thing she's doing with her friends and hanging out and like essentially like showing off a little bit of her new powers. And then is kind of caught off guard when her boss is just like oh by the way you, you've got to be she-hulk and can you just do it right now you know and it's kind of it's like this invasion of her autonomy that i think is really interesting i'm really excited to see how she deals with that dueling identity and like the the bodily autonomy of like i i want to be she-hulk when i want to be not when you want me to be you know and it'll be interesting to see how the show balances tatiana versus she-hulk because i know they want to probably keep tatiana on the screen more than she hulk just to save money on the effects <laughs> so it was, it was cool that they actually had like a thematic backbone for that to make it really actually fit into the character and the themes, it's not just like oh we're too lazy to cg she hulk every episode
0: yeah i get that and honestly for me the show if at this point if we were to rank the disney plus shows it'd probably be very much towards the bottom like it's fine it's very much just fine that's the only way i can describe this show it's it's fine it's okay it's honest. as far as, like, a, a, a show independent of everything else, it I probably wouldn't keep watching it. And even being connected to the MCU, I feel like it's really not telling me anything more about the MCU. I don't feel like it's setting anything up. So I just, I'm kind of left wondering why. I feel like shit. Setting, it's setting stuff up, but nothing that's directly She-Hulk. It feels like She-Hulk is just this thing that exists to set up other things that aren't She-Hulk. And I just, I don't okay like I, there's theorizing but i'm never theorizing in my head about jennifer walters it's always about the other characters and i feel like that's kind of a problem
1: yeah i agree with you on that i think a lot of the spiraling that the fan community did this week and even myself like i have i spiraled into a lot of theories off this episode and when you think about it very few of those are actually tied to jennifer walters and like her arc but i do think that they could bring that all together i think there are some cool easter eggs in this episode though and one of the best and most revealing is just in this random scene where she's looking at a tabloid magazine website and you see these headlines in the background that are kind of interesting you see that uh a a headline basically explaining why is there a giant statue guy in the middle of the ocean (laughs) you know connecting to the end of eternals and there was that really scenic beautiful shot at the end of the of the uh celestial stuck in the ocean down there and people kind of wondered like how is nobody going to address the fact that there's a giant yeah. stone celestial now in the middle of the ocean and i guess i guess they do address it kind of in this episode yeah, yeah so that dressed,
0: was cool they dress that and wolverine and a tiny little blurb in the corner that's really yeah of making course me. we got a
1: little a little wolverine cameo but i think that i think that does like we're going to talk about game of thrones or house of the dragon in a few minutes and i think i take I take inspiration from how George Martin writes a reveal. And he talks about his three-stage reveal. And, like, he has these little tiny, tiny bare sprinkles that he puts in for people who are, like, really looking at the stuff. And then he has kind of the wider reveal. So if you're kind of paying attention but not that closely, you're starting to catch on. And then he has, like, the final reveal where it's, like, even if you're background watching this, you you got the twist now, you know? And I think maybe that Wolverine sprinkles is, like, the first stage of some larger reveals to go on for the show because they do have this growing... Department of Damage Control in this MCU that's becoming more and more prominent. And when She-Hulk goes to visit the prison, it's the, da- it's the Department of Damage Control prison, who was also seen in Spider-Man Far From Home, also seen in Ms. Marvel. They seem to be kind of the the dark hand of the government here that's cracking down on superheroes. And I could see them being an interesting means of bringing in the, the mutants. Like maybe their their hidden goal here is not just to find superheroes, but they have some sense of there are mutants among us now, and we are trying to find them. And Because we have Wolverine. If that is Wolverine, because I don't know if that's literally Wolverine getting in a bar yeah, fight. Or that could be one of those things show. of, like, a
0: guy with metal claws. It could be like, oh, brass knuckles with some stuff attached. Like, it's one of those things where they can always go back and say, yep, that was Wolverine, or they could go back and introduce Wolverine a completely different way, and they could be like, we never said that was Wolverine. That was just a guy with claws. So... Uh, yeah, very kind of open-ended and very kind of leaving themselves options. I'm very curious. I always, for me personally, I think the best way, especially with them doing the multiverse to introduce the X-Men, is that the X-Men are in a different universe. And then there's just kind of a crossover that way. That way you could have X-Men movies that are independent and you'd never really have to explain, well, where were the X-Men for the last 20 years? It's like, well, they were in their own universe. And I just think that's probably the easiest way rather than some of the explanations I've heard, and ones that I don't necessarily like of like oh the X-Men were there we just, you know, there weren't that many of them so we didn't really know about them. Well, there weren't <laughs> many of the other types of avengers, but I feel like if I'm picking an avengers team, I'd rather have Wolverine than Hawkeye. No offense to Hawkeye, I'd rather have Storm than uh than uh, Black Widow. And so
1: I'm yeah, also I just wondering think there's if there's a lot of other uh,
0: options want with.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if they don't go with the theory that maybe there are mutants living among us and Professor X has been using his abilities and his uh, his technology to hide them from the the Avengers and the rest of humanity, and it's, it's, at some point they're going to be revealed. I'm wondering if they're going to pull a twist here, because we know from Loki that King has a, a soft spot for strict government operations, you know, and... We do know that Kang is the the right the rising threat here of the yeah. MCU leading up to Kang Kang Dynasty in 2025 I think it is and I would wonder if there could be a big twist here where the Department of Damage Control this entire time has been a front for Kang and we're going to get some kind of reveal that Kang is the one at the head of this operation and that he's using the Department of Damage Control to define That's mutants fat. or to find variants or to find some kind of yeah. some kind of way to build his power
0: yeah Because, I mean, they've already kind of introduced Mutants a little bit, I guess, so it's hard to say they're in a different universe unless they're starting to emerge in this one, and that's how they realized there could be ones in other universes with some of the characters. But, yeah, I'm definitely curious to see how things uh, move in the future.
1: And one last fan theory I have. We know that uh, Abomination has seven secret admirers who have been writing him some love letters, and and, uh, they have some property they're going to move him into when he gets released. I do wonder who those seven admirers uh, uh, might be. Oh, <laughs> I, ah. I would keep your eyes out for maybe some some, uh, some of the, I don't remember, what the Thunderbolts, I believe they call them. It was yeah. like the, the negative Avengers, you know, when we saw them starting to form up in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we start to see them pop up and we, we build up. While we're building up this positive side of the MCU and the heroes, we're not going to have this kind of like Suicide Squad style, like anti-hero team of the mc of the mcu that's complete with like uh kept Cap- captain america from well he's not Captain america anymore he was yeah, u.s got- agent u.s agent got- baron zemo you
0: know we got a lot of Yelena. options oh, elena who i think will flip i think that's my theory elena's gonna start off as a member of the thunderbolts and she's gonna flip
1: yeah so i i do think those are the seven secret admirers and we're gonna Maybe that's like the finale of the show—is he, he meets up with them and it's like their Avengers assemble, at the in the finale. But uh, I also think that's going to be an element. I would also pay attention to where Hulk went out in his ship. Uh, I wouldn't—I don't want to say too much about that part of it, but I do think that Hulk might be having some plot, whether it's in this show or in some kind of future Hulk thing. But we know that the MCU can't use Hulk. As a lead in the movie they can't have a hulk movie necessarily so they're probably going to be telling a lot of the hulk plot either in here or like as a sideline character and other stuff but yeah hulk flew off into space where is he going is there going to be some kind of planet hulk that he can be going to some kind of world war hulk you know maybe hulk wing he could find that might be joining some 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 of the story i don't know that's just comic book theorizing to go off of but there's a lot of directions that can go off with hulk going off into space
0: yeah, I definitely uh, think there's a lot of options here. Part of me wonders, is he just going off into space and season finale he's like, oh, I just wanted to go pick up my trophy from uh, winning all those fights on Jakar. I just really, they just really didn't have the budget for me to be in a bunch of these episodes and that's how they're explaining it away.
1: Either way, we'll see. Yeah. You can he- rewatch The Incredible Hulk on HBO Max if you haven't seen it. For some uh, One of those out of these that's not on disney plus because it was a universal production technically
0: yeah and also i've heard that the rights have reverted back to um um disney now for hulk so i think i guess with along with namor and some of these other characters so i guess there's a possibility that we could get a disney hulk movie now
1: no we'll see i, I really do wonder what the feature of that character is because they haven't done a ton with them you know I've, I've been kind of disappointed with the hulk as a whole in the MCU, he hasn't really had a lot of great action outside of pretty much the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think there's uh, a lot of... uh, It's just... All the Hulk developments happen off screen.
1: Yeah, and I hope that at least maybe Jennifer Walters could give us some cool scenes, but yeah, that's my biggest fear is that, we, like we talked about, our whole conversation now has been about X-Men and about the, the Thunderbolts and about Hulk, and there's not a ton of growth for Jennifer Walters or for any of like the original characters in the show. Like, I look at her supporting cast, like her, her paralegal, seems like she could be an interesting actress, but we haven't really gotten anything out of her, and we haven't gotten much time to spend with any of the other characters in their office because we're spending so much like MCU time that I don't think we're spending enough time on like Mm -hmm. the actual characters of She-Hulk, you know, think about the family of Ms. Marvel, how much you cared about those characters by like three episodes in, and I couldn't even name another character on, on She-Hulk that isn't Jennifer Walters. (laughs) And even not knowing the comics, it's so clear where
0: the show is going. I mean like, Oh, she's just going to defend superheroes. Like, like, I, that's just where the show's going, and it's like, let's just get there, I guess. Like, let's just have her start defending cases or doing something, because that's the season finale, is her figuring out, oh, I'm going to defend superheroes. That's what I'm going to do. Like, I know that's what she's doing now, Like, but I almost feel like it's going to end with her having her own firm defending superheroes.
1: Yeah, it's been one of my bigger frustrations with the MCU show, is it seems like they're taking an entire season to get to what should be, like, the beginning yeah. <laughs> of the story. You know, yeah. like, I wanted to see Jennifer Walters taking on absurd cases and maybe having having those tie into the mcu you know she's gonna have to take take on this abomination case how's that gonna tie into shang chi she's gonna have to take on maybe like a sokovia accords case how's that gonna tie into secret wars and rather than this very very slow build of like her building up to oh i want to defend superheroes so like just give me the show that i'm <laughs> give me an actual she hulk show doing yeah. she hulk things i don't need this all all of us build up for this long
0: yeah Alright, anything else we gotta say on She-Hulk
1: before we just completely bury it? Nope. You know, who knows? We're heading into already the midseason at this point.
0: Yeah. Alright, so Pinocchio trailer dropped this week. It looks super generic and bad and it looks like one of the all-time uh, worst live action Disney remakes. So yay on that. Let's keep that train rolling. We've had one, we've had two good ones, I would say. I've, uh, Beauty and the Beast, people liked, I haven't watched it, but I think Jungle Book was good and arguably on par with the original animated version because the original animated version was just kind of a series of short stitched together. And I thought Aladdin was decent. I thought Aladdin was good and worthy of existing. Outside of that, they've all kind of been bad. Lion King was horrible. Um, basically, Mulan, I did not watch, but pretty much everyone watched. watch it. it was like, that was bad and uh, I'm just over all these bad versions. I'd rather, like, my idea for what the Lion King live-action version should have been is the, or like, why do Scar and Mufasa hate each other? Why? How did Scar get his Scar? Like, let's just show them as princes trying to be king and the relationship with their father, and I think that would have been far more interesting than what we got. But that's not what we're talking about here. We were talking about Pinocchio with Tom Hanks uh, as Geppetto, and do you disagree with any of my stances tristan
1: the movie would be way better if Tom hanks talked in his elvis voice the entire time you know yeah, i feel yeah. like i'd watch it at that point oh i've never seen him. dull like that boy
0: yeah yeah that that i still need to see elvis which we're about to talk about uh soon and uh can't wait to uh get to there but that leads yeah. us to episode two of House of the Dragon on HBO Max, because I don't have anything more to talk about Disney+. Plus. Watched the episode last night about a half hour after it d- debuted. Uh, I'm really liking the story so far. I kind of like the focus on one family where Game of Thrones hopped around a lot. I like the idea of we're just going to follow the Targaryens. You know 172 years we're seeing a lot more of the political stuff mixed in it's mostly political stuff but these politicians have dragons which I'm liking but kind of what are your thoughts on this house of the dragon so far
1: yeah I'm liking it so far uh this episode felt like old school like season one season two of game of thrones you know it was people in the elaborate costumes and you know decorative rooms having really intelligent <laughs> conversations and that was kind of what I got into in the first place and I, I like that about the show. It feels like we're back to the, the the classics of Game of Thrones, you know, where it was more about the dialogue and more about the the politics and and kind of the manipulation of these people rather than big action and set pieces. And the show is going to have set pieces. I I imagine next week we get a, a nice big dragon set piece that I'd be uh, sure people are going to have a great time watching, you know, give us some action to spice up a bit. But it was nice to have this slower episode here to really set the stakes up and really build things. and. Yeah, it. I'm loving these characters. I think that's what's been so fascinating about this. Like, you you see these characters' names on a page for a couple of sentences in a history book, or a few chapters here in a history book, and to see them brought to life, and to see these moments, these smaller moments that are like mere sentences in the book, brought to like this really, really compelling drama is just really, really, just so much fun to watch. And I'm happy to be back in Westeros. I love. I love this world. I love the intrigue of these these houses dueling with each other. I'm just having a great time.
0: Yeah, same. Um, it's everything I think I could have hoped for. I'm not. I've, I mean, we're only two episodes in, but I'm definitely not disappointed. I like liking where it's going. Uh, I wanted to watch this spoiler free. Accidentally looked at a Targaryen family tree the other day, and that kind of spoiled a little bit of the show for me. But um, it's wide open still. Don't know how we're getting there. I didn't realize that we're going to have as massive time jumps as we're having. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that goes. But
1: uh, Yeah, I would expect maybe another time jump at some point. Uh, it looks like they're moving pretty quickly. There was already a six-month time jump between episode one and episode two. And we do know from you know, casting news that there are older versions of a couple of these characters in the cast list. So I would imagine at some point we would jump forward in time. And Game of Thrones doesn't seem like the show to be like, oh, and now we're forward, and now we're backward, and now we're forward. I feel like once Game of Thrones does that forward time jump, House of the Dragon does that forward time jump. We're not going to be going necessarily back to the younger characters. But yeah, I'm really liking the time that they're taking here. I didn't necessarily think they'd spend this much time on the preamble to the to the dance of, to the, what we're heading towards here. So I'm really glad they're taking the time to build this up. Uh, I think the Daemon. Uh, uh, standoff here at the end uh, is really kind of this the embodiment of what this show is capable of, you know, we have Reneria, Reneria flying to Dragonstone and confronting Damon, and this is notable to me because in Fire and Blood they purposefully I think leave out the fact that Renaria was there and they write it as if uh, the king came and the king made a royal decree and, and Damon you know, he just bowed to the will of the king because the king was just so kingly and <laughs> I think what we're getting more for, more so from the show is like this king is not as kingly as maybe the history has made, made him out to be. Yeah, and he's much more of like a pushover and kind of like a, a, a wimp than, than, yeah. than we may have thought.
0: Yeah. And I can't remember the character's name. It's the uh, hand of the King, rice Evans character. And I love rice Evans ever since uh, the replacements, that great Keanu Reeves football movie. Um, but I like how he basically, he's, the little finger esque type character of this show because he got, spoiler alert for this episode if you haven't watched it, the king to marry his daughter without ever recommending to the king to marry his daughter. He just talked to his daughter and he just kept shoving her in the king's face over and over and over again until the king was like, I guess I gotta marry someone. I'm gonna choose the little girl that's not 12. That's (laughs) gonna be my option. Because you could tell as soon as he looked at her,
1: he was like, yeah, I can't do this.
0: I know politically it's the best move, but no, I can't do this.
1: Yeah, my rule of thumb is that if Game of Thrones is past your bedtime, she's probably a little too young for you, King, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I like that scene a lot, and I, they could have played that so many different ways, especially in this time period, like you could almost give them an excuse to make the King a little bit like dismissive of the age difference, you know, and I like that he's clearly uncomfortable by it, and it did a great job casting a woman who is very much a young girl, you know, and when you compare that to the Alyssa hightower casting who's supposed to only be a couple years older older than this girl is but she certainly looks older and i think the casting of both of those characters has done a great job here where one of them just seems like a little girl playing at adulthood and the other one seems much more natural you know and you can see why she would appeal to the king and especially when he doesn't necessarily know that she's trying to appeal to him you know where uh she yeah like you said her father to send her in there and said oh maybe you should go wear one of your mother's dresses and hang out with the king tonight and i love the conflict as well of uh, Alicia hightower being friends with uh Reneria, and that adds a lot of conflict in that relationship because she has that scene in the in the Septon where she's getting Renaria to pray and she's clearly struggling with her relationship with her father and they have that heart to heart where she says "Renaria, the only way that he's going to listen to you is if you approach him and there's a lot of complexity in that scene because it's, it is good advice from a friend to a friend, but it's also manipulative advice that, like, a political maneuverer is using to try and get the king at her side, you know? <laughs> so I think there's a lot, of, a lot of fun in that scene, especially because there's no—that's an addition as well from the book to the show, that there's not a sense of, like, they were friends at this point in their time. There's not a lot of, like, history of friendship there in the page, so I like that addition— And there's also a slight hint maybe of like even more than friendship, even maybe just like one sided potentially of like a crush, but I definitely pick up a slight bit of like a romantic lingering between those two characters as well. So I wonder how that's going to go, especially, you know, the divisions between Targaryens is not going to get less, (laughs) less so, you know, I think you can guess from the premise of the show and from the state of Westeros in a couple hundred years that things are not peaceful as the show goes along and characters kind of start to, you have to choose sides as conflicts grow and grow and grow. So it'll be interesting to see who chooses what side and how the kind of drama falls down. Because even in this one episode, we're seeing the lines start to draw, you know, between Damon and Renaria and Viserys, and they all kind of have their own alliances. So it'll be cool to see who falls down on the what side here.
0: Now I'll say one of my favorite small moments from the show is when he met the little girl from... The king met the little girl from Valyria. And for like half a second, I was like, this actress is bad like it sounds like she's reading and then like right before the king said his thing i had the click of oh she's just reciting what her mom or her dad told her to say to the king word for word and then the king called it out and i thought that was like a great like small moment where you can tell like it just sounds like she's reading or reciting something she was told and it wasn't like didn't feel organic because it shouldn't and I Mm -hmm. was just a great small moment
1: yeah and we can sell we can tell that moment uh Really affected Corliss Valerian and he felt very betrayed by that, and went right to Damon. You know, he he betrayed his king. Essentially, went to the man who's clearly in wanting to usurp the throne, and I think that's gonna that's a key moment right there. That's the line being drawn, and I think we've we've seen where the sides might fall here. So, I think it's really an exciting moment to end the show on, and I can't wait for the rest of it. Like, we see the the wedding reveal too. Like, he's gonna marry alicia hightower now how is that going to go if you watch the next week on you see uh some of the results of that relationship and how that might affect Veneria's claim to the throne so i'm really curious to see how that plays out Veneria is a fascinating character because like she didn't necessarily want the throne at the beginning of the show she was kind of the Arya stark wandering warrior type and now it's like now that the throne is potentially out of her reach once again it's like does she actually want this more than she thought? You know, that's yep. going to be a question that I think starts to ask herself in the next two episodes as the claim starts to become a little bit weaker for her, too. Definitely. And I like the small
0: moment kind of tying to herself where she is picking numbers of the Kingsguard and they were like, oh, you got to pick this guy because it's like he's won tournaments and it's like the best politically. But, he's a, but she's like, I'm picking the guy that's going to defend my dad. And so I'm going to pick the one that has actual combat experience that seems like the best choice so it's like her just having the mental idea that it should just be the best person It shouldn't matter about politics or anything else we should just pick the best person and i kind of like that yeah i think moment. that's
1: a really good note and it, it contrasts her and her father too because viserius is not uh necessarily like i want the best person for the job i want to think about the best person he's so much about like i want to make sure everybody's happy and everyone's getting what they want and all of my lords are happy with me and like me like He's to the point where he's conceding to everyone and, like, nobody is winning. And there's that interesting metaphor where he... Uh, I think of that as, it's uh, Corliss Valerian who says it, where he says you can't just wait for a storm to hit you. You have to either sail through it or try and move an uber around it, but you can't just sit there and let it hit you. And I think Viserys' ultimate doubt, uh, problem as a king here is that he's just letting things happen to him. hes He just has no spine. He's, he's kind of like a coward and not really able to have an opinion on on anything <laughs> yes. and it's, it's going to be his downfall because he's there's event like this crab king guy who's invading these trade lines like that's important and Viserys can't just be like well we have to get along with Essos so we can't do that and the free cities are you know our allies so we can't get in, in a conflict with them like you have to the reality of the world is sometimes you have to make enemies to keep the peace you know and Viserys doesn't seem to be able to understand that
0: yeah definitely um definitely good show anything else other notes you have about house of the dragon or do you want to move to the big event of the evening of our top 10 upcoming in september
1: i'm uh, i'm ready to move on here i'm excited for next week joe do you want to take a bet on whether or not we get the the time jump of time jumps do we get our recast time jump next week or not um my question for you
0: is do they do it in the middle of an episode or do they do it between episodes Do you think there's a thing of like, oh, like there's some kind of event? We gotta wait for the event. Boom, the event happens, and now they're all older.
1: Yeah, I would do it in the episode, especially because then you can visually tell the story of who these characters are. Like you could have a close up on young Winaria and then this hard cut to the old Winaria so you know who's who and whose face is who's. And I think that's gonna be the hardest thing to to translate to people when they do that time jump. Is who are the who? Who are these characters supposed to be from the previous time? You wanna make sure it's as seamless as possible because some people are getting recast and some people are not getting recast. Yes. You know, so Matt Smith is, is cast for the entirety of the series. He's gonna be playing Damon Targaryen for the whole time. But Renaria and Alyssa and Hightower are both getting recast in this time jump, so it's gonna be interesting to see how the dynamic of those actors changes when you bring in a whole entire new actor to play that character again
0: here's how i would do it i would uh have the opening of the show be a retelling of some be like you see reynera and then you cut to old reynera and you realize that moment in the cold open was older reynera telling someone the story of that event so like it's important event that as viewers we need to know because maybe it's foreshadowing of future moments but and then we cut to older reynera telling that story
1: i think that's a good note I'm not going to say anything of like upcoming events, but if I were to predict this here, I would probably say we deal with the crab Lord King thing that they're dealing with in the free cities and this is trade dispute in the next episode. And that's kind of resolved within an episode. I don't necessarily, maybe within two episodes. I don't think he's going to be like the villain of the entirety of the series type of thing. I think he's going to be a couple episode arc here. Someone will clean that up. And then when that event is cleaned up, it will trigger the time jump. I think our last, our last event here in this in this preamble st- timeline here is going to be this crab king in the free cities, because that is kind of what I think is going to be a turning point in the plot here of who's who's the holding of the power. Because like, those are important trade lines. You know, and Viserys is just sitting around doing nothing about it. And if Damon's able to go over there and clear out those trade lines, he's going to have a lot of people on his side saying, look. Look, someone came and did something, and someone sat in King's Landing and did nothing, you know? Yeah,
0: uh, definitely. Um, Definitely. Um, I think there's a lot to like about this show. Anything else
1: you want to say? Nope, looking forward to the next episode. It's been the highlight of my week so far, both episodes so far
0: yeah, can't wait to uh, talk about next week and talk about the season. I feel like this is kind of the show that we're going to talk week to week. Not going to lie, I think when Andor drops uh, later, we're probably going to stop talking about She-Hulk. If She-Hulk isn't finished by then, <laughs> that's just my... Uh,
1: yeah, my I, have imag- I have a feeling we'll be talking about House Dragon in, in intense detail for the rest of this run, because I, I always have a lot to say about this. I have so much on here I didn't even get to say, <laughs> so... Uh, Yeah, House of Dragon is definitely going to be the high point of the conversation, I think.
0: All right, and I think that moves us to our top 10 upcoming in September. So if you forgot, basically, uh, Tristan and I, we went online, did some research, looked at, okay, what's our personal top 10? I did my top 10, he did his top 10, and then he sent me his, and I kind of combined our list. So basically, if you rated it higher on yours, it kind of got weighted overall. And uh, let's break this down. So we got to start off with some honorable mentions. These are ones that were on at least one of our lists. Uh, Tristan, if you got that document, do you want to read some of the breakdown of uh, the Videodrome? Well, that was your pick. Why, Why yeah, should people uh, be excited about Videodrome coming?
1: Videodrome was dropping on Peacock September 1st. I think you should be excited about it because September, I think, is early enough to kick off your horror season. You know, I'm going to be doing some horror movie watching between September and October, and... You also had a new Cronenberg movie this year. He did Crime of the Future with Kristen Stewart. And uh, this is, for me, the definitive Cronenberg movie. This is the one that really kind of embodies all of his crazy body horror elements. So the premise of Videodrome is that uh, as a network TV executive, he's trying to get ratings because, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot of competition and his his network is struggling. And he picks up this strange and serious signal that is showing these really, like, intense violent potentially snuff films potentially like just really intense horror, B, horror movies he's not quite sure but it's these really brutal violent kind of low production level uh footage and he decides to air that on his network uh to try and boost the ratings but then he kind of starts to spiral down mentally as he just wants to figure out what is this signal what is video drum where am i where's coming from who is doing this and he, it kind of is like a sci-fi mystery of him trying to uncover this video drone while also losing his mind considerably along the way. So if you want to see some pretty crazy horror effects, a lot of really fun body horror, a lot of weird kind of premonition things, you know, there's a line in here about uh, in the future, people are going to only be known by like usernames and not by their own names. And that's the kind of, you know, stuff where this feels like a premonition of the, of the times to come. This came out in the eighties, but it feels like it has stuff to say about our current attachment to technology.
0: All right, yeah, we got that. We got Video Drama, movie I've never watched, but uh, I might check it out this month. We also have Thor Love and Thunder dropping on Disney Plus September 8th as part of Disney Plus Day. It's basically got Crimson Hemsworth and Tyka Ratiti returning for the fourth installment of the Thor franchise. Not gonna lie, I have not seen this movie yet because I figured soon enough it'll be on Disney Plus. Yeah, I had September 8th. September 8th, here it is. So can't wait to watch it.
1: We've got Survivor, Joe. This is all you. Survivor season forty-three. How Survivor forty-three.
0: Se- Survivor season forty-three. Survivor is the greatest, um, greatest reality competition show of all time. It's basically the first reality competition show of all time. It's people on an island. It's the forty-third season of Survivor. If you're not, if you're not a Survivor fan, why aren't you a Survivor fan? People ask, "Is it still on?" I feel like the last probably. Five or six seasons have been some of the best seasons there have ever been. The show is on a high right now. If you, for whatever reason, are like, I've kind of heard a lot about it. Maybe my friends talk about it. I'm wondering if I should get back into it. You should get back into it. Sure, it airs on CBS, but it also goes right to Paramount+. Plus. So I considered it partially a streaming show.
1: Maybe I'll get back into it, Joe. I did not watch a lot of Survivor in my, my youth, you know, the prime days of Survivor. Me and my family used to gather together and watch that on TV together every week.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a great show. show. You used
1: to have to watch things on TV at certain times and they all had yeah. to watch it together because if you didn't watch it then, you wouldn't be able to see it and you had to sit through commercials. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a great show and uh, people should be watching it.
1: My honorable mention here is the Austin Powers trilogy. Uh, I know me and Joe both last year did a huge binge through all of the James Bond movies and that was a really satisfying binge for me. I had a great time, way, way more fun than I thought it was going to be and I thought it would be fun, but it was it was like great time so i think it'll be fun to cap it off with an austin powers binge you know i've seen i've seen i think the second one out of the three which You've, is you a haven't seen all weird of them thing to say you have no. not
0: oh you should watch all of them they i grew up on the austin powers trilogy. i watched the
1: second one all of the time on vhs Schmoken but i don't think i saw any of the other ones
0: yeah, it's definitely worth uh, watching. I'm surprised you haven't watched it. I definitely uh, recommend it. I feel like the, uh, like Netflix needs to make a fourth one that's a spoof of the kind of Daniel Craig super serious James Bond movies. That's what I think. I think for a time, the especially with the 90s and the Pierce Brosnan, the movies were too ridiculous and over the top you couldn't really parody them right, but I think now you could probably mix in some Mission Impossible as well and uh maybe do yeah generally
1: like it's a whole new era of action movies right everything is so so serious and huge budget like i feel like they're primed to be parodied at this point
0: yeah i definitely feel uh we should get a fourth uh austin powers uh movie and i think that brings us to our last honorable mention and that is traveling band credence clear water revival at the royal albert hall is dropping september 16th on netflix credence clear water revival is my favorite band of all time they fun fact about the band they hold the record for having the most songs peak at number two of all time sad part about that is they never had a song reach number one which is uh kind of sad but
1: it's hard to believe considering how iconic a lot of their music is too even decades later
0: yeah bad moon rising i follow john fogarty on tiktok he's got some great great songs that he'll just drop on tiktok just him doing live performances in his backyard but anyways the documentary narrated by jeff bridges and the documentary follows the band from its el cerrito california roots in the mid to late 60s through the infamous royal albert hall show where they did a live performance after having 3 of their albums go number 1 that year. So
1: Well, I definitely will watch this. I'm a big music fan and I really like Creed Clearwater Valve, but I had no idea this was even happening until I looked at this list. <laughs> I didn't
0: I didn't know this was happening until I had to make a top 10 and I was looking at what was streaming and I'm like, "How do I not know about this? How how has this not crossed my viewpoint?" But yeah, I, think I think
1: that brings us up to the top ten here, I think Joe. That does
0: bring us to the top ten, and that is, if you want to start reading off uh, some of these, I know you were a big fan of, or well, no, these no one has seen number ten. I was looking at the bottom <laughs> of the list, number six. Uh, number ten is a movie that was on your list. I forgot about it. I didn't look at Apple, but if you want to tell people about this movie,
1: yeah, this coming up is uh, the greatest beer run ever. It squeezes its way into September on uh, September thirtieth on Apple TV Plus. Uh, this is, I have it this low on the list because it's on my radar, but not quite one that I'm necessarily positively excited for. It's just kind of a potentially good movie. And it's from the writer and director of Green Book, which uh, maybe you love that, maybe you hate that. <laughs> Depends on how you felt about Green Book, I guess. So he's making this comedy starring Zach Efron. Uh, he's kind of this, seems from when the trailer, kind of this stubby dude who's hanging out in his hometown in his small town bar. And he takes it upon himself to bring a bunch of beer to his neighbors and friends serving in vietnam at the time so he makes a civilian trip out to vietnam and delivers beer to what seems like civilian or uh, soldiers actively on the battlefield so it'll be it's based on a true story based on a pretty popular uh article or book i remember hearing about that and yeah the green book writer director attachment is what has me most curious because I didn't love Green Book, but I thought the comedy in Green Book was pretty good. I thought the comedy was one of the things that actually worked pretty well in Green Book and the social commentary angle, not necessarily as much. So I think if this movie leans into the comedy, and like the absurdity of this situation and like the characters, I think it could actually be a lot of fun to watch. And I think if this, if they try and lean into like a social commentary on Vietnam, I don't necessarily know if the writer and director of Green Book is the one to be making commentary on like Vietnam and protesting and <laughs> that kind of a thing i i started to think of where that could go if he tried to be more political than he needs to be but if he's just telling straightforward comedy with some political heart to it i think it could be our interesting watch especially because of the really cr- crazy premise and like this the weirdness of t- turning this into a comedy like a comedy about the vietnam war what is that gonna be like so it's on my radar and if you have apple tv plus you know there's not not doing a ton of support on apple tv plus right now so anything that can drop on there right now i'll take
0: all right yeah i i agree it's zach efron i'm i saw the trailer and i was like i feel like this is going to be really fun really good or horrendous i know i've seen it's based on a true story and uh i know basically there a lot of people that read the book and know the story said that uh there's some stuff that's straight from the book and there's other stuff that's completely 100% made up for the movie so I'm curious how much of it's made up for the movie but I'm excited to see the movie I, I've always felt that if you're going to movie and television to tell you true real life stories you're going to the wrong place unless you're watching a documentary or a docu series
1: yeah and as long as I think they're upfront about the fact that it's a fictional, Story with true elements. I don't really care if you're changing stuff. It's one thing when you go in there and you say this is literally true. Everything happened, and then it just didn't happen that way at all. <laughs> but like to me, when I'm seeing a, a film, especially, I'm like, this is going to be fictionalized. You know,
0: what's your stance on uh, Fargo? You know, that says, you know, based on a true story or inspired by true events or however it starts, and that's completely fake.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it I appreciate it in Fargo because they do kind of use the language of the editing. You know, it fades and it says this is a true story and everything fades up, but true kind of lingers for a second longer. And it's kind of like to imply that it's not really true. You think, I think, at least in my reading of it. And I, yeah, Fargo is the one one thing where I'm like, yeah, I maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe not true.
0: All right. And that brings us to number eight. I got two of my picks back to back. It's uh. Dated and Related, Netflix has been crushing with the reality dating TV shows. You have Sexy Beasts is amazing. Uh, Too Hot to Handle is great. Uh, Indian Matchmaking is great. I talked about that in our first episode. Uh, The Ultimatum I love. Love is Blind is their best one. And Dated and Related is essentially uh, young people. I'm already
1: watching House of the Dragon, so we're already getting Dated and Related yeah it's young people drag.
0: living together looking for love the thing is each every single person there has a sibling also living in the house is if you get two sisters that are interested in the same guy are they going to be fighting for each other you're going to see one of them kind of back off and be like you know i'll let you have this one maybe you have a brother and a sister the sister works as a wing woman for the brother brother works as a wing man for the sister And you just kind of see all these interesting dynamics. I think it's going to be pitched as a show about love, but I think ultimately it's going to be a show about siblings. And that's why I'm interested in watching it, because I think how all of these various siblings interact with each other is going to be the most interesting dynamics in the show. Any thoughts on Dated and Related? Are you going to watch it? I assume probably not.
1: (laughs) You know, maybe I'll give it a shot, you know, maybe one episode or something, you know? I feel like the premise and the title especially is like such an attention grabber. You know, you see Dated and Related and you're like what yeah <laughs> but then of course you get into the actual premise of the show and it's not necessarily as, as scandalous but yeah i'll i think i'll get your your review on that joe and not necessarily make my own opinion yeah. you don't want to skip number nine though all
0: right i am in the middle of it's my pick and i did not know this until right now
1: all right i'll go with number nine here on our list uh adding to peacock we have the hitchcock oh, collection. I skipped number nine. That was my uh, uh yeah joe is in the middle of his fantasy draft, so I'll go ahead and cover some of this here. Uh, I cheated a bit by including a whole collection in my list here, but it was an interesting coincidence where Peacock is getting a bunch of Hitchcock movies at the same time, and uh, they're getting Rope, The Birds, The Man Who Knew Too Much. I think they're getting both versions of that. Uh, they're getting Saboteur, Psycho, Vertigo, Shadow of a Doubt, a bunch, a bunch of Hitchcock movies. So if you want to watch Hitchcock, whether it's a rewatch or you haven't had a chance to go back and watch some of the classic stuff, I think Hitchcock is a great, great place to start if you're not uh, experienced with older movies and you want to watch something that is still going to be kind of exciting and thrilling. You have stuff like Vertigo, which I think is a great starting point. Uh, Vertigo and The Birds, I think are both really good starting points for Hitchcock. Uh, Rear Window, too. I think all three of those are going to be good starting points. But yeah, uh, as of September 1st, Peacock is going to have the most Hitchcock of any streaming platform. So if you are a Hitchcock fan and want to... Give them a shot. Peacock is a place to go. Peacock has been really, really impressing me, honestly, uh, with its lineup here. It's not one that was on the radar or the conversation very much, but I signed up for it out of curiosity for this show. And as I'm going through, I'm like, wow, they have way more movies than I ever thought that they would have. (laughs) So if you're looking for a a platform to throw on there for kind of cheap, maybe check out Peacock. You can get all your Hitchcock and a ton of other stuff. You know, you have Jurassic Park, uh, Dominion coming out extended cut of Jurassic Dominion coming out September 2nd there too so yeah Peacock has a lot of good stuff
0: alright yeah definitely uh, excited to uh, uh, check it out so I gotta jump the gun a little bit Uh, I haven't watched too many Hitchcock movies so uh, I have Peacock so you know maybe I'll go back and check out some of them Ropes one I've always wanted to watch so I'll go back and check those out Uh, but that brings us to uh number seven ink master a show i love back in the day i say back in the day it stopped airing like two three years ago and they're bringing it back it's gonna drop september 7th on paramount plus the first episode uh and the spike tv show returns this time as a paramount plus exclusive with fan favorites competing against each other it's basically if you've never seen it it's project runway uh but tattoo artists and uh and the one thing i'm excited for this season is uh the judges in previous years uh i think when the show started they were qualified but as the show went on and they're like 10 12 15 i don't even remember like 15 seasons at this point they kept getting better and better artists um better and better artists as competitors and those competitors and they kept bringing people back and those people got better that the judges they critique tattoos and i'd be like i've seen your work you couldn't make a tattoo that good, so who are you to say it's bad? And now they've got Ami James, who, if you watched uh, Miami Inc., he was kind of the star of that show. It was about his shop. They have Nico Hurtado, who's the best realism tattoo artist in the world and probably of all time. He did The Rock, who had the uh, like little bull, his little logo here, who got it covered up with a skull. Nico Hurtado is the one who did that. And then you got uh, Ryan Ashley, who is a big-time fan favorite of the show. I believe she's won. She's been on multiple seasons. Is now coming back as a judge. And uh, Joel Madden. I think it's either Joel or Benji Madden. One of the Madden brothers is now the host. Uh, So I'm definitely excited to watch it. Definitely am to watch it. Going to be watching it, episode one, when it drops. Whether my girlfriend wants me to or not, or whether she wants to
1: watch it or not. This is one that I would actually check out, because I do like tattoos. I I think it's awesome to go through and look at like some incredible tattoo art online or videos of tattoo artists. So this is actually a reality show that I genuinely will give a watch to Joe. So thank you for for getting me one.
0: Hell yeah. I got one to Ink Master. All like all (laughs) the past seasons are on Paramount Plus right now. So if you want to kind of check out what the show is about, you can go on there and uh, right, right now and watch the past seasons. And so if you want to break down our number six, Tristan... Yeah, our number six, we talked about it
1: uh, uh, briefly, actually, earlier. Uh, it's Elvis, dropping September 2nd on HBO Max. Uh, this was Warner Brothers' kind of divisive, very stylized Oscar movie telling the story of Elvis, who is obviously a huge, huge icon of American pop music history. And I already saw this in theaters. I watched it in IMAX, and I was blown away by the style of it. Baz Luhrmann directed it, who... Has done stuff like Moulin Rouge and uh, Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet. So it clearly has like a very distinct style. And when he brings it to Elvis, I think it matches so well because Elvis has this larger-than-life persona and this kind of like glamorous life of lights and just overwhelming a kind of spectacle. And I think Baz Luhrmann brings that spectacle to Elvis here. And if you haven't seen it, I think it's definitely worth watching as an Oscar contender. I think it'll uh, Austin Butler is a shoe-in for a nomination, if not a win for lead actor. He, he transcends into Elvis, and the, the style of it is really what makes it so much fun for me, though. It's just every frame of it is so unique. There's all kinds of split screens and, like, effects going on and really interesting music cues and editing choices. It's just, like, every moment that in some other movie would have been told in the most boring, like, shot, reverse shot way possible, Baz Luhrmann finds a way to tell it with, like, a five-split-screen sliding uh transition with a with like a fire wipe that comes across the screen or something and it's like i love seeing that level of flair and fun put into a story and i think elvis is a is a persona that demands that level of flair you know if this was told by somebody some kind of like disney plus shoe and director or something you know it would be like really dismissed and forgotten and not something that i would have attached to because i don't really have a lot of history with elvis or anything like that so for me, this, the style of the telling is what made this so special. And I really, really can't wait to watch it again on HBO Max where I can pause it and look at all my favorite frames over and over again. And I hope now that it's streaming, more and more people will watch it because it did well in theaters, but it wasn't like a smashing huge success that I was uh, kind of thinking it would be.
0: Yeah, I didn't watch it in theaters and I was like, I. I just didn't get around to it, and I was like, it's going to drop before Oscar season, and I didn't realize it's going to drop so soon. I'll probably watch it within the next few weeks because I am excited to see it and interested to see it. And also the Doja Cat song that released with it is a banger, and I've been listening to that nonstop.
1: The scene where it drops in the movie is so good too. Nice. I laughed out loud uh, (laughs) just of joy.
0: And I've been listening to Casey Musgraves' cover of, uh, what's the song? It's the Big Elvis song that uh i don't know but
1: just google casey
0: Casey musgraves and elvis and you'll know what song i'm talking about and uh with that i believe brings us to our top five and our number five is a show that uh tristan and i I think are a little bit lower on than most people and uh tristan you want to break down uh lord of the rings the rings of power
1: yeah we got if you haven't had if one intense fantasy prequel series was not enough for you joe you got yet another uh set in a really established world uh, a couple hundred years or so before the events we know but, but lord of the rings i love those that trilogy of movies i've watched it so many times you know i sobbed throughout it there's so many moments in that that are like forever permanent film moments for me you know and uh but nothing about lord of the rings appeals to me in terms of like a large world or like expanding the history or anything like that you know I I wouldn't watch Lord of the Rings and say oh I I want to see what happened like 200 years ago or I want to see what happened in this place or that place I want I really attached to like the individual characters and their kind of individual journeys and some of the places they went to but I think especially the Hobbit trilogy cemented to me that like I don't really necessarily know if I want to be returning to this world for no real reason and my biggest fear about Rings of Power is that we're going to be back here with for no necessarily real reason. I know that they're basing this off of Summerillian and people have liked Summerillian, but it wasn't a claim to the level of Lord of the Rings, you know, and I just, I'm nervous that with two big fantasy shows that this is the one that's going to kind of fall by the wayside, especially for me, because I'm significantly less interested in this world than I am in the Westeros world. So I could see it if like my brain can only comprehend so much high fantasy, you know, I'm imagining my focus is going to be on one side compared to the other. I hope that doesn't, Lord of the Rings because I really would like to see Lord of the Rings as a franchise continue and I think Amazon is in a, a feat like a, like a, a peak of manic insanity for releasing these two shows simultaneously <laughs> like Amazon has so little to compete with I don't understand why they're taking on HBO for no reason you know like they could have just delayed this for a month and they and, would have been fine
0: and Prime isn't struggling I don't think I think they could easily wait even more than a month and be like Christmas time be like Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. This seems especially with no Star Wars right now. I feel like, well, no Star Wars like movies. I feel like, this would be a perfect like Christmas release.
1: Yeah, I think it's a bad move to put them side by side. And you, you think about Amazon Prime specifically, like their streaming platform. How many like socially relevant IPs and shows do they actually have? You know, it's probably just the boys, really. And Invincible has a really strong following too. But outside of those two nothing from Amazon Prime has really hit more than like a season or so. And I think they're taking a really unnecessary risk by spending so, so, so much money on this show. And then having it compete with the show that's almost, it's very, very similar and aesthetically.
0: Also, and also is people are used to seeing it on TV and it's also probably as weird as it is to say, I think Game of Thrones is higher in the pop culture than Lord of the Rings. If this show, if, if we're talking two thousand three you know, if, ta- if Lord of the Rings came out more recently, but like, I think the Hobbit trilogy really hurt Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and, uh, I just think that, um, it's gonna be very hard to, uh, get people excited about this show. I just don't hear the same chatter about this show that I hear, um, about game of thrones like game of thrones is super popular it's number one on twitter when people talk about it like it's just bigger at this point than lord of the rings now maybe this show comes out and it blows everyone out of the water and it's like wow this show is even better than peak game of thrones but it kind of has to be almost better than house of the dragon for people to care if it's not as good as house of the dragon then it'll struggle even if it's still good
1: one thing i i see happening is i think lord of the rings lends itself to action more than Game of Thrones does, and I think Rings of Power, the first episode, they're dropping two episodes at once, which I think is a good move. And I think if at least one of those two episodes has a really huge mass-scale battle sequence or something like that, a really, really impressive action scene, I think that will set them a really good place to start, because Game of... House of the Dragon so far is not delivered on any action spectacle, any big, huge battle type of sequence. And they're going to next week so i think amazon has to beat them to the punch amazon has to show off their money you know they spent an obscene amount of money on the show it's the most expensive tv show ever produced in the history of tv so put the money uh where the money is i guess <laughs> and give us some good action make sure that the money's going to the production value and not to like you know whatever celebrity you have coming on you know what i think this is going to be a, a, a telling move for amazon because they invested way too much money in this for it to fail. Because if this fails, I think we see like almost a whole refocus on Amazon, <laughs> for to maybe not do so much money in streaming at all. So I, I really do wonder how it does. And I think yeah, an action sequence could be what really connects it. And It also has a bit a slightly stronger potential of seeing actual shared characters. Like you could see Gandalf, you could see Sauron, you could see some of the some of the characters you know from game from Lord of the Rings, whereas House of the Dragon, not necessarily. You know, you could see Blood Raven or something, but that's not going to be like everyone pointing at the screen type of character.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. I really know nothing about the Lord of the Rings world outside of the three main movies. I haven't even seen the Hobbit movie, so I don't know anything. But, yeah, that's kind of why I feel like partially why it's lower on our list. I could see a lot of people having a number one. I assume if you've been paying attention to streaming and knowing a lot about streaming, you'll see what our number one is, but wanted to keep it hidden a little bit you know got to leave a little bit of suspense but that i think brings us to number four i do
1: want to say really quickly before we move on have a second here if you haven't watched lord of the rings at all or you haven't seen them in a while the extended cuts of them are showing on hbo max <laughs> weirdly enough and mm-hmm. when i went on to my tv i had an ad on hbo max saying watch lord of the rings before house of the dread or before rings of power shows up so i was like that's a really <laughs> wild world in." we have hbo using their own platform to promote the competitors direct show that's competing against them <laughs> so yeah if you want to re-watch lord of the rings or you haven't had a chance to see the extended cuts the extended cuts are very much worth the watch and they're all on amazon prime i mean uh, they're all on hbo amazon prime has the normal theatrical cuts but i don't think they have the extended cuts which is an interesting line to draw yeah
0: definitely um Sorry, I was just trying to make it a draft pick here. Um. It's
1: okay. My number four, my pick is number four as well, so I can uh, cover the next one also. All
0: right, you're, you're
1: good. I made my pick. Uh, number four, uh, the final season of Atlanta. Donald Glover, uh, Atlanta the first season is kind of what really revitalized and kind of like, not revitalized, but kind of reshaped and redefined his career. You know, he was really popular as a comedian among like community and that kind of thing. But Atlanta was like, oh, wow, we got to pay attention to this guy as like a larger artistic voice you know not, not just as like a musician that people like or a comedian that people like but as kind of like someone who has something to say here and i think his career has only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger since then you know you've had stuff like this is america the music video and a lot of his albums have been really kind of talked about since so i can't wait to see it. of course star wars he was in star wars you don't want to not mention star wars on the show joe might come through the screen and solo's a good movie <laughs> yeah he was in solo great movie yeah But, uh, I'm curious how he'll wrap it up. You know, it's his final note to end this on and these seasons take like years to make. So I'm really curious to see how he'll, how he'll note this at the end. And he does seem to be a guy who has a lot to say, you know, he has like the Teddy Perkins episode in Atlanta season two. And I am sure he'll have a couple of weirdo episodes in this too. You know, Atlanta, if you haven't seen it, is about these kind of struggling, uh, uh, rap artist in Atlanta. It's about one rap artist and Dal Glover plays like his producer and his manager who tries to, he, essentially his manager who tries to get him, you know, pe- play on the radio, get him popular, get him this and that. And it expands from there to being this kind of surreal portrait of Atlanta and then poverty and, and race and all of these complicated issues and all while being this kind of surreal comedy the whole entire time. So I can't wait to see how it ends because that show has like a million things going on in it. So how he how he finales this i just had no idea how to guess
0: same all right yeah i haven't watched a single episode of atlanta so maybe i should
1: you check would love it out. Atlanta. i think you would i think you should definitely want check it out easy right. watch they're like half an hour episodes all right and of course you have a georgia connection all right yeah when uh
0: i've, I've I, okay i take that back i was at my friend's house one time jordan friend at the show who watches atlanta and he was watching an episode when it was on and i was like oh this is cool this is fun and then That was That's all I've seen of it. And it was a good episode. I think that brings us to number three on our show, and that's season five of Cobra Kai dropping September 9th on Netflix. Honestly, I think it's one of the most fun shows out right now. It kind of honors the previous Karate Kid movies while also kind of building its own legacy. And the number one thing I have to say about it is it is the best possible version this show could be. Like, you're sitting here going, like, how could Kid a Karate Kid... Cobra Kai show be it is better than it has any right to be like I went into the first season thinking this is going to be garbage I left the first episode being Johnny Lawrence is my favorite character ever I've ever seen on a television screen and uh I wasn't even a big karate kid fan I saw the movies but I wasn't like something I had continuously on repeat I was definitely a three ninjas fan uh those were kind of more my movies as a kid if I was going to watch karate fighting movies and uh But yeah, uh, Tristan, I know you haven't seen it. You should definitely check it out. The first season, first first two seasons, I think, were on like YouTube Red when that was a thing, and that fell flat on its face. And so Netflix bought the rights to the show, and now all of the seasons are on Netflix.
1: Yeah, uh, I have not seen much of the show. I watched the first episode the day it dropped on YouTube Red. Speaking of YouTube Red, uh, (laughs) I did watch the first episode of it when it was free on YouTube Red, and I thought, yeah, pretty good, I'll, I'll get around to that. And then I just never did uh, you mentioned you didn't really have a history like a nostalgia for Karate Kid I didn't either I know I've seen them but it wasn't something that really was like oh I love Karate Kid you know so I just never really had this in my radar but I heard nothing but good things and I thought surely like five seasons in it's got to start dropping off but <laughs> everyone just says oh it's still just as good you know season four was really good and they're bringing in all these other characters some other Karate Kid sequels but so I think that I'm going to make it a point to binge at least at least a couple seasons of the show i'm not going to finish it by september 9th but that's uh, i'll probably have the first season done by september 9th so maybe when you come on here and you start talking about season five i can talk to you about season one you know Mm -hmm. maybe that will be a good a good mix
0: all right yeah definitely uh excited to hear your thoughts i could hear you coming hey if the show's good enough for ed asner to be on it's good enough for you to watch you know
1: yeah, I mean, look, I'll be I'll be honest with you. If I loved it or hated it, you know, I'll tell you. You know, mm-hmm. I've had nothing more than come on here and be like, Joe, your favorite show is terrible. What are you talking about? Something tells me I I like it though.
0: Yeah, I think you'll like you like fun and camp. It's it's a little camp. Like they're treating the All Valley Tournament like it's life or death. So I feel like uh, you should uh, check it out.
1: Next up, I've got a pick here. Uh, highly anticipated Oscar. Uh, move from netflix uh, netflix also made a divisive stylized movie about a really iconic american entertainment figure uh, but this one was marilyn monroe uh, this is blonde dropping end of the month in september 20th i think it's showing in theaters briefly before netflix usually does that for like a week or two before they drop their movie so if you're like intensely a theater person and you're like oh i want to see blonde in theater i think i think Cinemark or, or Someone, one one of the chains has a deal with netflix for for a couple of weeks i'll show it in the theater but uh this is anna de armas who will know from blade runner 2049 and knives out she's also getting a sequel this year but she's playing marilyn monroe and that's a really interesting casting choice it's like the opposite of what you think of when you think of marilyn monroe her her appearance and her her voice and everything is just very different from marilyn monroe so i'm really curious to see how she pulls that performance off which i think is the most talked about an exciting part of this whole movie. If people just want to see how Anna the on is going to pull it off and the trailer, she looked pretty good, but I mean, you can cut any good performance together in a trailer. So I'm not necessarily uh, sold by the trailer, but this will be really interesting. It's going to inspire a conversation. There's a lot of controversy about like how real is this and how do they feel about the changes made to uh, her life? And there's an NC-17 rating based on like you know some of the, some of the violence it seems, and I wonder what, what viol- wh- wh- where is that going to play into this story here? You know, and I, I think it's going to be a really talked about and divisive and uh, discourse to movie this year. You know, you, I think of movies like Licorice Pizza last year that seemed like they inspired more discussion than they actually like <laughs> were worth potentially and even though it was a good movie it seemed like it was just constantly debate all the time and this one might end up being the same thing it's directed by Andrew Dominic, who did uh Killing Them Softly with uh Brad Pitt he did he did uh Assassination of Jesse James also with Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck so he has a history of some really acclaimed movies but he hasn't made a movie since Killing Them Softly I think in 2012 So uh, it's been a long time, 10 years since his last movie. So I wonder what it was about Blonde that like pulled him back in. I I really am curious about this, especially because of the NC-17 rating and some of the conversation that people have been having about some of the changes. It'll be a great one to watch and talk about and maybe an Oscar, Oscar contender, at least for the actress.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things with Blonde, like, I wouldn't have thought, oh, Anna Diarmis as Marilyn Monroe, like, as far as looks-wise, but I've seen so many posters and so many images where I have to do a double-take, and I'm like, wait, is that Anna de Armas or Marilyn Monroe? So, I think, and just, like, the trailer grabbed me, and I'm very excited. I think that this, I mean, obviously, it landed at our number two, so it was very high on both of our lists, and uh, would not be surprised if this gets quite a few Oscar nominations and maybe some Oscar wins. You know, it's definitely something the Oscars love and love to eat up, so... I think this uh, stands a good chance of being a movie that people are talking about for months to come. And if you want to be early in on that conversation, uh, I would definitely check out Blonde when it drops on Netflix later this month.
1: Yeah. And we'll be here talking about it as soon as it drops. So, you know, if you want to tell whether it's worth your time or not, because it seems like it's going to be one that's a little bit divisive. I'm sure me and Joe will give you a strong opinions, whether it's good or bad on here.
0: Yeah. All right. And I think that brings us to our number one and you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, let me put up the logo on the screen, and boom, our number one most anticipated watch thing that we're excited about on this show is Star Wars Andor. Three episodes dropping September 21st. There was a little bit of a delay. Curious what the delay was. A lot. Of, I think, in my opinion, they just wanted to avoid the premieres of House of the Dragon and lord of the rings and kind of wanted to wait for that discussion premiere discussion to die down before they dropped andor and i think they thought dropping two episodes or three episodes would kind of draw that to me the production value based on the trailer looks like the highest production value any of the star wars i'll say any disney plus show bar none has had uh, minus maybe the animated shows it's hard to compare like the look and visuals of that last season of clone wars to a live action but as far as live action shows i think it looks the best of any of the disney plus shows everything showrunner tony gilroy has come out and said has made me more and more excited i watched that opening 10 minute scene uh that they released before rogue one last weekend that has me more excited i i think it's hard it's weird because my anticipation isn't derived from like, Oh, I get to see this character again. Like pretty much every other star Wars hype Mm -hmm. has been driven by recently. This is the first, like, no, this just genuinely looks that good. And so I'm excited to see it. Tristan kind of, what are your thoughts on star Wars and or.
1: Yeah, I have been way uh, harsher than you on the recent star Wars shows. There's been episodes here and there that I've enjoyed. I'm not going to say I hated them all or anything, but I am a little bit disappointed in general by like this Disney plus direction for star Wars. And a lot of it has come down to the production value and just like the general aesthetic of the way that some of these shows have looked. They've all looked very kind of low effort. And I think the volume has kind of backfired a little bit in, in terms that it's it's very noticeable when they're using it. So it kind of pulls me out whenever I see them using it. And when I watched that 10-minute sequence and when you watched that trailer, like I've, I was never like really pulled out from the action or anything like that. And I think that the fact they didn't use so much of the volume really is going to help this show to look different than the rest of the shows have looked and to look like it really is this gritty kind of era. And I think it fits with the movie too. You know, they want to have it. Rogue one was, was that gritty kind of dirty, you know, they're living on the edge type of characters. And I think that fits well for this show, you know, and in that 10 minute sequence, we saw him getting kind of recruited and he's doing these little small game heists type of things. And now he's starting to get connected to the larger rebellion. So I'm really excited to see it. This era of star Wars is, very, very populous and well defined at this point. So I'm curious to see what characters could pop up. But yeah, I'm not sitting here like, oh, I'm, I can't wait to see, you know, Hera for a shot if she's even in it or not. You know, I'm excited because it looks good. <laughs> you know, and that's something I couldn't say about Star Wars for a few years at least. That it actually does look good. The production looks good. The music looks really is just sounds really good. So I hope that this can set things up. And I think Star Wars, especially now that it has competition with Lord of the Rings and House of the Dragon, and those have some really high budget, really high production value, I think Star Wars has to step it up. They have to be able to compete on that scale. And Marvel maybe doesn't have to, because Marvel has their built-in branding, but I think Star Wars has a bit more of an uphill battle, and I think Star Wars has so much action spectacle to it that I think it's almost a missed opportunity to not have better action. And I hope that this can improve upon it and maybe revitalize my love for star wars a bit because I, I want to love star wars again joe i really do so i hope that this can bring me back
0: yeah i definitely agree i'm excited for the show we'll 100 percent be talking about it when it comes out uh september 21st tristan uh do you want to have anything else you want to say about our top 10 most anticipated before we move on to talking about what's uh, leaving uh streaming
1: no, this was a great list. It was honestly hard to make cuts here, you know, and if you're looking for stuff that's dropping you can always look up the lists. But yeah, this is definitely gonna be what we cover at least and we'll cover more stuff that pops up here and there, but you can definitely guarantee that we'll cover at least uh these ten things. And yeah, Andor, can't wait for that. Bon can't wait for that. But this whole list is gonna be really interesting to talk about
0: all right and so i will talk about my leaving uh leaving netflix this month is nightcrawler uh the jake gyllenhaal movie and speaking of tony gilroy i believe this was directed by tony gilroy's <coughs> brother dan gilroy so a nice connection there dan gilroy also directed i've written wrote and directed three episodes of andor so a nice connection there uh if you haven't watched it it's a uh, really fun i would say fun if in the dark sense You know, it's a great character study of Jake Gyllenhaal, kind of finding this job, finding this career as an ambulance chaser, following around, trying to get news footage, news coverage. And speaking of Star Wars and Rogue One, Riz Ahmed is in that movie. A lot of Rogue One and or or connections to Nightcrawler, which I'm realizing as I'm talking. And uh, so Riz Ahmed's in it. And uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal, if you're a fan of kind of fun thriller movies, check out uh, Nightcrawler.
1: Yeah, I love Nightcrawler. Uh, I saw that back-to-back with Whiplash uh, in the theaters, and it was a very intense night of movie watching. (laughs) I was, like, bathed in sweat by the time I got home. I was like, I don't need to have that level of anxiety again. But my pick for Leaving Soon is uh, But I'm a Cheerleader. It's a uh, 1999 comedy starring uh, Natasha Lyonne, who is a, now kind of a known comedian. She's had shows like Russian Doll and stuff like that. This is one of her breakout roles. And you also had uh, Clea Duvall, who is a really well known actress. She's in all kinds of stuff like like Argo, like Happiest Season, like Zodiac. Yeah, you know, she's popped up in all kinds of stuff. You'd recognize her face when you saw her. And the uh, main character here play, is, like I said, played by Tasha Leone. She's a high school cheerleader in the 90s, and her parents become convinced that she's a lesbian so they send her to a conversion therapy camp to uh convert her back to uh being straight and of course uh conversion therapy is all a bunch of made up uh bullshit from a bunch of homo repressed people and they kind of lead into that in the comedy here where like all the people running the camp are like extremely (laughs) like homo repressed one of them is played by rupaul and he has this hilarious line where it's RuPaul, and he says, "I was once a gay." And you're like, "That is RuPaul. You you are mm-hmm. clearly clearly gay." And I think it leads to a lot of the fun, where like the color is all very campy and very bright, and leans into like the gay aesthetic. And it's about her and uh, Clea uh, DuVall kind of uh, slowly but surely finding some feelings for each other. And it's it's a nice kind of ironic subversion where she goes to this camp saying. I'm not a lesbian, I'm straight. You guys are crazy for sending me here. And then when she's there, she ends up finding love with uh, another girl there. It's a really fun comedy, a really kind of heartfelt comfort movie. So if you want to see something that is a really fun, light take on what could have been a really serious subject matter, you know, I think a movies like uh, They, Them was like a horror movie set in a conversion camp. And this is like a, a goofy, campy comedy set in a conversion camp, all about these teens kind of coming of age and discovering themselves and ultimately has a very heartfelt message about accepting yourself for exactly who you are, you know, and <laughs> loving yourself for that. So I really enjoyed it a lot. It's streaming on Peacock for the next couple of days. And I don't know, looks like it's probably disappearing into thin air thin after that. So we'll see you, uh, where it shows up next.
0: All right. Definitely seems interesting. Definitely. We'll have to check that out if I get the time. I think that brings up our final uh, discussion. And that is Tristan uh it's the thing we do at the end of every episode. Who
1: won the week? Uh, it's hard to say because HBO Max clearly had the superior show here with House of the Dragon. One that took most of my, my heart this week. But I'm going to throw a curveball here, Joe, because House of the Dragon, that, that's the show that won the week. But for me, I think Peacock won my week not necessarily because of what it had on there, but because I look at it September and I say, wow, that is a great September. And we're doing our September special this week. So I think, you know what, I'm going to give a highlight to Peacock. They have some pretty big drops coming up and they have all of that Hitchcock stuff. And, but I'm a cheerleader. I really loved. So I watched that this week for its last chance. And you know what, I'm going to give a surprise win here to Peacock, you know, give, give Peacock a win this week, I think.
0: All right. Interesting. Yeah. So as a big Detroit Lions fan, as a big NFL football fan, uh, I'm loving Hard Knocks this season. We didn't talk about it this episode. We wanted to talk about our upcoming September. We'll do a little more of a review uh, next week, hopefully. But between House of the Dragon and Hard Knocks, it's hard for me not to give it to HBO Max. So we're split this week. This is the first time we're split. Uh, We don't really know what's going to happen with this accumulative who won the week uh it's more just data for us to have to uh potentially if we have any ideas for something to do in the future so if you're watching this show and you have any ideas for what we could do with this information of who we thought won the week but uh, yeah thank you and uh if you want to want us to watch something if you want to recommend us if you have any notes about our show tweet us at movie Changeup and talk to the hand and uh tristan if you don't have anything else to say i think without further ado goodbye